Hi, I'm Carl Payton, pastor of Transformation Church RVA. I wanted to take a moment and thank you for checking out this sermon. I also wanted to bring to your attention something that is close to our hearts here. While our team has prayed that this message would stir within you a desire to know more about Jesus and be more like Him, our desire is that it would only be supplemental to your faith journey and not replace the church and faith community God has called you to be a part of locally. With that said, engage with us over the next 30 to 40 minutes as we dig into the Word of God proclaimed. Our scripture reading for this morning is from Luke 4, 16 to 21. Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. As usual, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He then rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. He began by saying to them, Today, as you listen, this scripture has been fulfilled. I want to welcome Bill Deutsch. Bill is one of our elders here. He's the elder over discipleship, and he'll be bringing the word this morning. Would you give Bill and the Lord a hand? Now, the, uh, the 66 books of the Bible form one continuous story from beginning to end. It's a story about ruin and rescue where God creates a paradise and Satan invades that paradise and ruins it. And God immediately commences a plan for redemption, a plan to recreate and restore his paradise. Now, in terms of the Bible storyline, the, the passage that Val read this morning is what we could call the big reveal. Okay, you know, in a movie, the big reveal is that moment when you learn something new about a character that completely changes the direction of the story, completely changes the way you view the story. The most famous big reveal in, in, in all of movie history probably has to be when Darth Vader says, no. I am your father. Right? Or think about the Wizard of Oz, right? When you find out that the great and terrible Oz is really just a con man hiding behind a curtain. Or my personal favorite. At the end of Field of Dreams, when you realize that Ray Kinsella's dad has been on that baseball diamond the whole time tears me up every time I see it. Those are big reveals, right? And up, until, up to this point, everything in Scripture, everything in the storyline of Scripture has been pointing forward to a Messiah. Messiah comes from a Hebrew word that means anointed one, and it refers to the ceremony of pouring oil on someone's head to set them apart to be a king or a priest. 
The anointing was intended to convey special authority and power. And the Messiah would be someone like the great King David who would arise and deliver his people from their enemies. And as people in Jesus' day read their Bibles, they longed for this Messiah to finally arrive, but they expected him to be a warrior. And they needed a warrior at this point. They had been conquered by Rome. They were a subjugated nation. Roman soldiers patrolled their streets. But strange things were starting to happen. And this hope, this hope for a deliverer was starting to stir. And there was this crazy guy named John who was out in the wilderness preaching and telling people to prepare the way for the Lord. And John had recently baptized a small town rabbi named Jesus. And when he did, something completely unprecedented happened. The Holy Spirit came down in the form of a dove and descended on Jesus. He anointed him. And a voice of God the Father, God the Father spoke out of heaven and said, You are my beloved son. With you I'm well pleased. Nobody had ever seen anything like that before. So it's in this this atmosphere, this messianic expectation, that Jesus comes into the synagogue in Nazareth. Okay, And the synagogue was a building where the Jewish people would gather to study the scriptures. And Jesus was a leader in the Nazareth synagogue. That's why he would have been asked to read and to explain the scriptures. And on this particular day, he reads these words from the prophet Isaiah, a passage that all of his listeners would have immediately understood was a reference to the Messiah. He reads these words, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll. He gave it back to the attendant. Sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began by saying to them today. As you listen. This scripture has been fulfilled. That was the big reveal. Jesus sat in that synagogue in Nazareth and he said, I am the Messiah. But here's the shock. He was obviously not a warrior. He was a preacher. And nobody saw that one coming. The spirit of the Lord is on me for he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. So the question this morning is, what is this good news? What is so powerful about this message that it is at the heart of God's plan for redemption and rescue? And the good news that Jesus preached consisted of rescue from the devil's power, repair for our blindness, and release from our slavery. Jesus, first of all, proclaimed a gospel of rescue from the devil's power. He came to rescue those who were held captive by Satan. Now, when you read the miracles of Jesus, 
One of the things he was constantly doing was releasing people from captivity to Satan. He was constantly casting out demons and setting people free from, uh, from demonic power. Demons were extremely active in Jesus' day. But don't you think for a moment that they're not active in our day as well? Demonic powers are just as active now and just as active in bringing people into captivity now as they were in Christ's day, and that's why we need the gospel. Just one, just one obvious example here. One example. Since 1999, when we as a nation experienced the Columbine school shooting, there have been 12 mass shootings in schools. People, we live in a day and in an age when children walk into schools and shoot other children. Now just think about that for a minute. This has become part of our culture. As a matter of fact, in 1999, during the Columbine massacre, that, um, that event generated months of news coverage, right? That was in the news for months. There was a school shooting in November of this, of, of this year, and I would be willing to bet that if I polled you, you probably couldn't even tell me the name of the school, right? Because it's become part of our culture it's become part of our expectations. I don't even remember this last time around, and by the way, it was Oxford High School in Michigan, and four children died. I don't even remember this last time around, the obligatory thoughts and prayer tweets that, that politicians generate when something like this happens. People, this is a phenomenon that psychology and sociology cannot explain. You cannot explain why this is happening outside of some kind of demonic influence. You, you can't do it. And this is something that legislation and education cannot resolve. And, and already by this point, uh, there's, there, there's like half the room is going, Bill, Christmas, Christmas weekend, dial it back. This is a little bleak. Listen, this is not bleak. You know why? Because the gospel is the only power that can drive those forces back. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas. We celebrate the coming of Jesus Christ into the world who has the power and who has the authority to drive back the forces of Satan. That's what we're celebrating this time of year. And that's why this is good news. And these things can only be addressed with spiritual weapons. Listen, we need good legislators. We, we, we need competent professionals. But the spiritual weapons that this society so desperately needs are deposited in the church. And that's why church, that's why we can never, ever lose our gospel focus. That's why we have to be sure that everything we're doing, everything that we commit our time, everything that we commit our money, everything that we commit our energy to, is tied back to the gospel, ties back to proclaiming and bringing the gospel to this nation. 
But don't, listen, I don't want you to think that, okay, if I'm not a murderer, then the devil has nothing to do with me. Because here's the, here's the really shocking thing. According to scripture, anyone who is opposed to the gospel, and by that I mean anyone who is not obedient to the gospel, anybody who has not submitted to Jesus Christ and his living as his disciple, is actually a captive of the devil. Listen to what Paul said to his young, uh, his young protege, Timothy. He said to him, uh, 2 Timothy 2, verse 24, the Lord's servant must not quarrel, but must be gentle to everyone, able to teach and patient, instructing his opponents with gentleness. Perhaps God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth. Then they may come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Paul wanted Timothy to know that when he interacted with people who opposed his message and who opposed his ministry, the real, the heart of the matter was that they were taken captive by the devil. And that's why he told him to be gentle, to be patient, to take time to teach, because that's how they were going to be delivered from captivity to the devil. A lot of wisdom, a lot of wisdom in that old Dylan song, gotta serve somebody, right? It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're gonna have to serve somebody. Jesus came to rescue you from the devil's power, but he also came to repair your blindness. And again, this was another recurring miracle that Jesus performed, healing people from blindness, opening the eyes of the blind. And in all of Jesus' um, miracles, as you read Jesus' miracles, understand that there is not only a mercy behind those miracles, there's a message behind those miracles. There's mercy and there's message behind the, uh, the miracles of Jesus. And Jesus is telling us he didn't just come to, to, to resolve and repair physical blindness. He came to resolve and repair spiritual blindness. And the spiritual blindness that we need rescue from is, number one, blindness to our own need of Christ. None of us by nature realizes just how badly we need Christ, just how desperate our situation is. We want to make excuses that we're not really as bad as we seem. We want to kid ourselves that eventually at some point in my life, I'll give my life to Christ and I'll begin to serve him. But not now. When you don't know, number one, that you're going to draw another breath today and you don't know, number two, that tomorrow you're even going to want to think about Christ because that by itself comes only through the influence of the Holy Spirit. We're naturally blind to our own need and we're blind to the grace of Christ. We, we tend to think that I, I got this. Once I get myself, you know, once I get myself repaired to a certain point that then I'll become a Christian, then I'll turn to Christ we don't realize that Christ is ready to accept us as we are in whatever condition we find ourselves in, in whatever sin we have fallen into. Jesus Christ is ready to welcome us and cleanse us immediately. You want to see a picture of what it means 
to have your spiritual eyes open, all we have to do is turn over um, a few chapters towards the end of, uh, end of the Gospel of Luke to chapter 23. And in this particular passage, Luke chapter 23, beginning with verse 39, Jesus is being crucified. Jesus is being subject to the most excruciating form of death that human ingenuity has ever been able to come up with. Crucifixion, which was a slow death by suffocation, which was reserved for the worst of Rome's enemies. Jesus was voluntarily submitting to that so that he could pay the price for our sins, so that he could resolve our conflict with God. And he wasn't crucified alone. There were two people crucified with him who had also who had actually rebelled against the Roman government. They weren't innocent as Jesus was. They, were, they had committed crimes that were actually um, worthy of capital punishment. And in verse 39, we read that one of the criminals hanging there began to yell insults at him, that is at Jesus. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. See, there's the... There's the real issue. Yeah, that's great. You're the Messiah. I love it. Do something for me. That's the, that's the, that's the attitude. And you can't blame this guy for wanting to be uh, um, rescued from crucifixion. But that's, that's what he says. If you're the Messiah, save yourself and us. But the other, that is the other criminal answered, rebuking him. Don't you even fear God since you are undergoing the same punishment. And now listen to this. We are punished justly because we're getting back what we deserve for the things we did. But this man has done nothing wrong. There's a guy who understood his situation. He wasn't making excuses. He wasn't trying to cover up. He understood the situation he was in and he understood that he brought it on himself. And then listen to this. He looks at Jesus. He looks at a man who is hanging on a cross, a man who's about to die just like he was, and he says this, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. Now, how do you look at a man who's dying on a cross next to you and saying, you're a king, and when you come into your kingdom, I want you to remember me? Because God had opened his eyes, the Holy Spirit had opened his eyes to see who Jesus really was. And then he was able to cast himself in faith on Jesus Christ. And that's the kind of blindness that Jesus came to repair. But he also came. He also came not only to repair your blindness, not only to rescue you from the devil's power. He also came to release you from your slavery. Jesus talks in the end of this passage about proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. That's actually a callback to something that was referred to, that, that happened um, in biblical times, in, in Old Testament times, called the year of Jubilee. And what happened at the year of Jubilee was that every 50th year, there was supposed to be this reset, this economic reset. All debts were forgiven. All slaves were set free. And if you had sold your land, if you had to mortgage your land um, in order to pay off debts or 
uh, for, for whatever reason, that land came back into your family. So every 50 years, economically, everything was supposed, to, was supposed to reset and everybody got a fresh start. Debts were forgiven, slaves were set free. Now listen, we don't have that in our, uh, in our culture and in our day and age, but that was not just a very um, wise, I think, economic arrangement. Again, it was a picture of something that Jesus came to do. He came to pay debts. He came to set slaves free. And we live, don't we, in an age of addictions. Let, let, look, let's be honest. We live in an age of addiction, and addiction is nothing less than slavery. Alcohol, drugs, porn, sex, relationships, food. We live in an age of addictions, and we live in an age where people need to be set free from addiction. And whatever your addiction is, the message of the gospel is today that you can name that addiction before Jesus, bring it to Jesus because he is your only hope of release. And he can release you from that addiction and he will. And listen, many of the people at the year of Jubilee had caused their own problems, right? There were people who um, just made bad decisions, I'm sure just managed their finances poorly, just got themselves into trouble through bad habits that they shouldn't have had, and they find themselves in debt, in slavery, having lost all their land. It didn't matter. In the year of Jubilee, everything was restored. And it doesn't matter this morning if the problems you're facing and the sins you're facing and the addictions when you're struggling with are your own fault. Jesus is still willing to restore and to pay those debts and to bring you back into fellowship with him. This is the good news that Jesus revealed. Rescue from the devil's power, repair for our blindness, and release for our slavery. And listen, Jesus didn't just proclaim the good news. Jesus is the good news. Everything he proclaimed, he accomplished by dying on the cross and, and rising from the tomb. If you've never experienced the saving grace of Christ, I want you to notice something very, very significant. This passage that Jesus read from the Old Testament says this. He ends with this phrase, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. But do you know, when he was reading from Isaiah, he actually stopped in mid-sentence. That's not where that passage ends. The passage in Isaiah says to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of our God's vengeance. But Jesus didn't bring up the topic of vengeance at this point. Now, he didn't erase it from the Bible. Um, he, didn't, um, he, didn't, he didn't deny the fact that there will be a day of vengeance. But what he meant by stopping at this point was that that day is not today. Listen, I've said a couple of times that Jesus did not come as a warrior. Might be more accurate to say he has not come as a warrior yet. Because when Jesus returns, and he will return, it will be as a conquering king. And he will bring vengeance on his enemies. But today, right now, you live in the time of the Lord's favor. This is not 
the day of vengeance. And the good news we preach is not a message of shame and condemnation. It's a message of favor. It's a message that says you can be rescued from the captivity of sin. Your sight can be restored and you can be rescued from every slavery and addiction. You live in the year of the Lord's favor, the time of new beginnings and church. That is the message that we are privileged to proclaim. Thanks for streaming this audio from Transformation Church RVA located in Richmond, Virginia. For more information, check out our website at www.transformationrva.com.